Why have I quit my job? Why have I, you know, bought a van? And, and why am I going to drive around the country? Well, I'm passionate about the idea that you need to be heard. And I want to stitch these stories together across the states. We're going to find the commonalities. And it's going to be really an amazing experience. And I look forward to you joining me on the job. Hey everybody, welcome back to Mental Health Today. I'm your host, Ken Stearns, and the show sponsored by the JAR Foundation, as, as well as the podcast you just saw, um, the, which is called The JAR. And basically the, that, that little snippet, that little commercial you saw, uh, that, that, that voiceover was me about 16 months ago, maybe uh, 14, uh, 16 months ago, uh, at the beginning of a journey around the country to talk to people, uh, real people, and have real conversations and that led me to really discovering uh, in my face uh, the mental health crisis that's out there. And so that started this, the, the JAR Foundation uh, back in about January, started this podcast in March, and really on the mission to kind of assemble you know, people in the mental health space, doing things in the mental health space, great ideas, great innovators, and find out what they're doing. What's the secret sauce to their recipe? How are they helping solve the crisis? And so today we've got uh, Nick Jaworski and really interesting kind of, I said, I was, you know, scoping Nick's background, very interesting background. No idea how you ended up here, uh, <laughs> Nick, I'm sure it's a great story. And what you're doing is really cool. Uh, I'm a big data guy. I love, I love data and I love playing around uh, with it and seeing what it can do. And we just talked briefly a little bit on AI playing with it, but um, Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks for being a guest. How did you end up in the chair where you're at and, and what social circle? What's going on? Sure, Ken. Well, I really appreciate you having me on. It's definitely an interesting project that you've got going on here. And my path, as you might expect, was a little bit windy to mm. this space and to building Circle Social, which is a behavioral health and addiction treatment marketing agency and consulting firm. Okay. So let's start at the beginning, right? For a lot of people in the behavioral health space, pretty common. I had my own experiences as a young man in my teenage years. I went through addiction treatment, had a DUI, was court ordered to go and seek care and had a really negative experience within treatment. It was not run very well. There were people okay. that clearly needed help in the program that weren't getting help in the program. And then there were a lot of people like me who didn't really um, were pretty ambivalent about being there. Right. And so that stuck with me for a long time. Mm. Fast forward, I traveled the world for a while, worked all over China, Prague, Vietnam, Turkey, uh, ended up coming back to the States. And what I did abroad is I ended up working as um, in, in leadership roles, building startups and helping do turnarounds with larger organizations. And a big piece of what I did was marketing. So I started a marketing company, which is Circle Social. And very quickly, I realized we wanted to focus. I'm a data guy and I'm very passionate about doing things well. Uh, it's just something mm. my dad imparted to me growing up. And so it really bothered me when I looked around. I saw a lot of what I call fluff in the marketing world. It's a lot of talk about branding and telling your story and you know what's your colors and what's your fonts. Those things have their place in marketing, obviously. But at the end of the day, what are we doing? 
we're, we're trying to accomplish something and that okay. goal. And so within the behavioral health space, it's connecting people to care. It's connecting people to quality care, not just any yeah. care, right? Quality care. And so as I started to build the company, I said, well, you know, doing e-commerce or helping roofing companies find clients and stuff is all well and good, but I want something I'm really passionate about and I want to become really good at it. So I don't want to be all over the place, be a jack of all trades. Like you see a lot of agencies. So I said, where do I want to focus? We had a couple addiction treatment providers as clients already. And I went back to my time in that world. I said, there's opportunity here. There's opportunity to improve addiction treatment. There's opportunity to make sure that people are getting connected to quality care. So they don't have the experience that I did of just being connected to a really subpar lackluster program. Uh, so those were the drivers. That was the impetus to start Circle Social. And through that, that passion, everyone we have here is really, really passionate about behavioral health. And we're actually now one of the largest agencies in the country. Big fish in a little pond is how I like to describe it. But, you know, we're, we're a multi-million dollar organization and we help out the largest treatment providers in the country from American Addiction Centers to UHS to Clean Slates and wow. Medical Services, which I'm familiar with. Um, so that's us. And that's how... We got here, you know, in, in the short of it. Yeah, very interesting. So how does it, how does that work? You know, where, where somebody's in the field, right, in real life, <clears throat> and they raise their hand, I'm a, I need help. And so they're going to go down and, and get, you know, they're going to raise their hand and go, I guess, go somewhere. Where do they go? Do they go to the, um, how does that start? How do, you, how do you first see the client's data and how do you match them up? Yeah, where does that journey go? So there's a couple different pieces, right? There's a patient journey that we map out and then there's the provider differentiators and their okay. strengths and what they're good at. And there's a couple ah. different pieces to that too. So let's start with the, the patient question. How do they find addiction treatment? There's still yeah. a lot of stigma around mental health and especially addiction. Mental health is getting a little bit better. Addiction yeah. is still pretty strong. But addiction, so man. Yeah, you're not going to go ask your neighbor. You're not going to go and ask no. the, the leader of your faith congregation. You don't even want to talk to family about it, right? So where do most people go? They go yeah. online. Okay. And ah. so they, they search on Google. 80% of all uh, patients that call into treatment or families, actually the families call in more than the patients. That's actually a really important point. So 80% of all call volume into a commercial uh, facility, commercial being they take commercial insurance, uh, like a yep. insurance okay. you get to work. It's family members calling in. It's not the patients themselves. Medicaid's okay. different. Um, if people are on Medicaid, they tend to call themselves for, for various reasons. Uh, so that's really important to understand is it's the family calling in most of the time. Mm. The family is always searching online. doesn't mean they haven't heard about the provider from somewhere else, you know, community referral, doctor referral, what have you but they end up doing the research online and calling from an online search. So okay. it's Google at the end of the day, that yeah. is the final touch point before a call happens. Okay. And then, so that's coming into, that's not coming. Do you guys advertise on Google and then try yep. to help? Okay. So you're, you're kind of, you're kind of casting a wide net on Google and you get that call and then your team kind of takes the, the intake and finds out what kind of insurance they're capable of or, or have, and then kind of, and then help find them treatment. 
Yeah, so good questions there. So we run marketing across the board. It's TV, it's Google, it's Facebook, okay. it's radio, right? All of these things are, are part of connecting people to care because there's an educational component. And that's actually at the heart and core of what Circle Social is and what we do. We really see ourselves as an education company on top of connecting people to care. These 99% of people, right? They don't need addiction treatment right now, or they're not willing to seek treatment or they're not ready to seek treatment, whatever mm. the case may be. So we want all of our material that goes out on behalf of our clients to be something of value. It should inspire, it should educate, it should inform, it should provide oh, hope. And that's really our, our goal is to have this community-oriented communication strategy that goes out. And that works from the business end at the end of the day, right? Who are you gonna go to once you're finally ready to seek treatment or once you realize you or a family member needs it? You're gonna go to the person that you know and trust, right? It's just yes. like any purchase decision yes. that we make. Um, so there is a business rationale behind all of that education and the community outreach. But, so that's a, a big part of what we're doing is we're trying to make sure that that connection to care is happening and it's happening on all channels. You know, yes, we want to be on Google. So that's Google ads and that's ranking from a search engine optimization standpoint. So when people search, they can find the treatment, yep. but it's also outbound. It's your TV campaigns. It's your Facebook campaigns. It's your LinkedIn campaigns to educate people ahead of time. So that they're informed when so they, they start to make some of these decisions. Yeah, they know who to call. Right, right. And then so your second part of that question is like, well, let's say I'm on Medicaid or let's say I have a Cigna yeah. policy. Yeah. Or let's say I want high-end addiction treatment because I'm, you know, I have a lot of money and so I want a little bit higher level of service, right? Um, all these things factor into people's treatment decisions as well as specialized programming. There's a lot of veterans programs around the country. There's a lot of LGBTQ plus programs around the country. Yes. And so our job is to understand what the provider does really well, what insurances they take, okay. and then how do we market that both in terms of messaging, right? So it's clear that, hey, this is who this treatment center is for. And also in right. terms of all your technical backend geofencing and location targeting and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, but that's how we really help manage that relationship because the worst thing you can do is get someone connected to the wrong care. If I am an LG, yes. you know, coming from the LGBTQ plus community and, you know, I've got a provider that doesn't have a strong program there, that's a bad fit for me. And I'm not potentially going to have a good experience mm -hmm. on the same side. You have a lot of faith-based treatment programs. You also right. have very secular that's treatment right programs. And when you look at quality treatment, it's the therapeutic alliance that drives that a lot of the outcomes for, for okay. positive improvement. Re interesting. So if there's a misalignment, yeah. then you're going to have a much yeah. higher chance of having a negative patient outcome, yeah. which is not what anyone wants. The patient doesn't yeah. want that. The provider doesn't want that. So there's a lot of thought and intentionality that has to go into the hmm. campaigns um, in terms of connecting people to care. Are you, does, does Circle Social act as that, are you doing the overall kind of marketing and then bring people in and then, I mean, how does the business model work? If I've got a treatment center, a regional treatment center, do you do a specific campaign for me or am I part of the whole social circle fulfillment part? If you will. Uh, I see what you're asking. No, it's all on behalf of the provider, right? And that's okay. So you build a program around each each client, Correct. right? We require that 
uh, there are some business models out there where people will do generic advertising and then mm-hmm. maybe filter people. And yeah. I'm strongly against that because I don't think the right people get connected to the right care. Cause you can't just cast this wide net and do generic advertising and then just throw people, you know, wherever you think they want to go. You have to have that really high level of targeting. You have to have that really specific messaging. Okay. That honestly and accurately advocates what the provider does well so that the right people are getting connected to care. And that's, that's a challenge for providers. A lot of providers, um, sometimes they're used to providing what I call vanilla treatment. Yeah. And that means that it's just treatment as usual. They don't really have anything special about them. That can work if you're literally the only addiction treatment provider in a hundred mile radius, right? I have to go to you. <laughs> that's my only option. But that's not the reality across the country. The addiction treatment provider space is actually heavily saturated and it's oversaturated. So when we look really? at most places across the country from a commercial bed standpoint, there are more beds and more spots available than there are patients actually seeking care. So that's that's a statement I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear, right? Yeah. Like, I, I think the perception is is that we're under well, maybe I mean for addiction. Um, that's interesting stat. Wow. Yeah, there's two data points behind it. One, if you look at your SAMHSA data, which is a Substance Abuse Mental Health Administration, um, only about 11% of people that are diagnosable with a substance use disorder actually want to seek care. And it's want to seek care, not like they're they're seeking care. They're at, they yeah, <laughs> that yeah, means they're still go- they're still Googling. Right, right. You know, so yeah, so they don't want to go into care. That's why you see yeah. a lot of families pushing people in, right? Workplaces yes. push people in, court systems push people in. Um, so that's one factor in why I think people think there's a big difference because you hear the stat that all these people are struggling with it. They're diagnosable, yeah. true, but they're not actually looking to seek professional treatment. And that doesn't mean that they're not looking to get better either. It just means that they're either they're comfortable with where they're at or they are going to try and get better on their own. And a lot of people recover on their own. Actually, about 80% of people find recovery from addiction uh, without professional help. It's the 20% that really, really struggle or just are not able to do it on their own that end up within a a treatment provider. And then the other piece is Medicaid, right? The vast majority of people struggling, I shouldn't say the vast, but the majority of people struggling with addiction are lower down on socioeconomic status, so about five to six times more people on Medicaid seek addiction treatment than people on commercial insurance or that have, you know, private pay capabilities. Um, and a lot of providers don't take Medicaid, right? It's very hard to run a business model that's sustainable with a Medicaid reimbursement rate. And so that is one reason that you'll see a lot of people having trouble getting connected to care is because yeah. they don't have the resources to uh, get into a quality program. Okay. So that's the real, that's the real sticky part right there. Yeah. It's, we, we could go down a whole rabbit hole I, there. I, but, <laughs> I have uh, a feeling that that's a, I have a feeling that's a whole, a, a whole rabbit hole itself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough business model. You know, the, the commercial insurance and the private pay is just a lot easier to be sustainable. And yes. even that's challenging for a lot of providers. I mean, we have a lot of bankruptcies in the space, a, a lot of providers just in Minnesota, um, the past couple of weeks, we've had four or five providers go out of business that have been around a long time. It is a hard business model to make work, uh, just to break even, not even to, to make a profit and be able to reinvest and grow and help more people. Right. 
Um, so then when you get to Medicaid, it's, it's a much more difficult situation and it's just challenging mm. to, to really make that work and work, make it work well. Yeah, that's got, that's got my head spinning a little bit. I mean, the, the data, you know, the data says, well, it's really socioeconomically the most impacted and then yeah. how to, how to, you know, how to fund that treatment, right? How right. to fund that treatment. I mean, that's tough, too, because it takes real specialty care. I mean, it takes real money to put somebody through a program. And and I can imagine, like I said, the Medicare stuff, the reimbursement, not going to make it. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons people went out of business in Minnesota is for, like, your, your group rate. So if I want to go to an intensive outpatient program where I'm going three hours a day, three times a week, they usually call it day treatment in Minnesota. They dropped the rate down to, don't quote me on it, but I believe it was $11.80 a day <laughs> you know so you have to think i have to pay my therapists and therapists are 30 to 40 bucks an hour right for a good master's level licensed one i've got to pay my building costs i've got to pay all my overhead right i've got to pay for medical supplies you can't do that on 11 dollars and 80 cents a day it's just not possible that sounds like the tea break per right. person like that's yeah. the daily yeah. coffee and snacks Literally per person yeah. that's, that's supposed to pay people. Right. Right. Oh so that's one of the God. big challenges in the space is, is the economics of it are pretty, pretty challenging. And, and there is a big, people don't think about this often, but again, we're on the marketing side. There's a cost to connect people to care because there's a yes, pretty strong yeah. educational component and there's a barrier of shame and stigma and everything to overcome. So if you're not marketing, if you're not reaching out into your community, people just won't seek care, right? One, they may not know it's there or that it exists, but two, you're not helping them get over that barrier and encouraging them to seek treatment. So you actually do need to spend money on encouraging people and educating people to improve the, the rate of people seeking care. And that has a cost to it. Um, so, you know, I yeah. talk with that a lot, you know, about <clears throat> providers is the marketing is actually part of the mission of the organization because we're educating the community yes, yeah. and we're connecting people to care that that would not have sought help unless they had some messages and a little bit of prompting coming across the table for them. That's so interesting. Do you, do you, I, or I wonder, I mean, I guess questions, do you have the data or wonder what the data would be on the impact of this educational process? of people, the messaging, right? People, you know, because roughly, you know, the addiction ratios are similar, you know, city by city, or, you know, at least demographically, if you've got similar cities, similar places, I would guess the rates are the same, but I wonder what the rate would be if, you know, had nobody telling people it's here, come seek it when you need us, we're here, here's what we're about, right? I could see that great communications process, but what if you didn't have it? I mean, I wonder what the rate, like hmm. the outreach has got to be really important. I mean, obviously we don't, we don't have the data on the areas where we don't do marketing. Right. Yeah. Um, but there are two kind of potential ways that I can try to answer that question. That might be interesting. Okay. So 10 years ago, there was no addiction treatment, right? In most areas of the country, there was absolutely a dearth of providers. It wasn't until okay. Obamacare, the Affordable yeah. Care Act. Okay. And I think that's where, that's where the, that's where my brain is stuck is 10 years ago. 
Yeah, there, there was not okay. training then. Okay. And so what happened was there was this whole boom from a business standpoint. You have providers opening up left and right, mainly in like South Florida, Orange County, California. Uh, <laughs> area. That's where I want to go when it's time. Yeah, that's what that's how a lot of people thought about it, right? Um, a lot of problems happened due to that concentration. But anyway, what you saw is people flying into treatment left and right. You know, they yes. were looking for care. They couldn't find care. And so they would all fly to Florida or they'd fly to California um, because there was no care anywhere near them. And so I think that speaks to that question of like, were people going anywhere? The answer is they probably weren't because all of the patients that we saw, all the volume was going to these places. And then as they started opening up more locally, you know, they moved into the East Coast and the West Coast and the Midwest. And this has been a slow expansion of treatment providers okay. across the country. Okay. They start moving in. And the patients start coming locally. And so when we look at our data for like residential programming, 70% of all patients come from a 70 mile radius around that facility. People want to go local. Healthcare is local. So we see that. And yeah. then if we start marketing, so a lot of the marketing was a very unsophisticated space for a long time. And all they did was Google ads. <laughs> was the only thing that people did. I, and I would imagine the ads were horrible. Yeah. Horrific. <laughs> Poor God. You know, it's just like, do you need help? We have treatment. You know, it's like, are you hungry? We sell hamburgers. You know, it's like really, I, really it low level. And I'm sure messaging. it would be just scare tactics and ugly marketing. A lot of that. Yeah, a lot of that. And then remind, remember, that was kind of the, as the, the, the industry, the business industry of addiction treatment started to ramp up in terms of money coming in and people building facilities. That was also really the start of the ramp up of the opioid overdose crisis. And so those two things really came together. And so you had a lot of moms sending their adult children who yes. were addicted to opioids, often heroin, into treatment, right? Lots of yes. fear, lots of concerns around that for, for extremely valid reasons, obviously. Um, so, yeah, we saw that. And then when we start marketing on like TV and Facebook and things like that, we will see the cost to connect someone to care drop in half usually. So what say, that tells us that again. It, yeah. Say that part again. Say yeah. So marketing on Google ads is really expensive. It's an yes. expensive channel. Google charges you a lot to market yes. on it on its search engine. So once we leave that platform and start using other channels, we actually see a 50% drop in the cost wow. of marketing to connect someone to care. So okay. what that tells us is going back to your question, once that message gets out there and gets onto these other channels where people aren't searching for treatment, yes. but now they're becoming aware of it. Yeah. We see people, were, you know, so what we're really seeing is twice the number of people come in for the same marketing. With, spend, with the same, right? with the same. And okay. And that's because of that, that saturation, the educational element, because it's out there, right? All those ads are all those things. The websites are all out there now. The, yeah. the material is there to learn what it's like to go in and how to get in. And I think yeah. probably the providers have gotten more sophisticated on their sites as well. They're working on it. You know, if we're behind it, for sure. It's very sophisticated. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, if we're not, it can be hit or miss. <laughs> oh man. I, so this is an interesting time for the industry. Then you've got, you know, you had the big boom. Yes. And 
you've got a little bit of a bust probably happening. Because there's probably a lot of, yes, there's a lot of pent up demand. Bankruptcies and contraction, yeah. right? Which is normal yeah. for any, any industry. Lots of it, money flows in through private yeah. equity, through individual investors, through people just putting their family dollars in, explodes. And then you have winners and losers. You have people that are really good <laughs> at what they do, either in terms of providing care or in terms of marketing and the business and the back end of being financially yep. sustainable. Um, and you have people that aren't. And so you're going to have people that close down. It's just part of how that works. You must see, I mean, it must be very interesting for you now because you've been doing this long enough to where you can probably see what clients are going to make it, what clients are going to struggle. Um, yeah. 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 So on the consulting side, we actually launched the consulting business because of that, because yeah. we, we can tell people how to start off on the right foot. And it's all probabilities is what I like to say is like, there is no, it's not paint by numbers. There's no math formula to build yes. a successful okay. business or a successful treatment center. Um, but there are uh, absolutely ways to do best pet practices and make it mm -hmm. the most likely probability that you're going to be successful or that you're going to expand successfully or whatever it is. Uh, so we do a lot of work with new providers and then we do a lot of work with turnarounds or old models as the industry has shifted in a lot of ways, it requires you to change your tactics of operation, the mm -hmm. way that you market, you know, again, most people used to fly across the country to go to treatment. Nowadays they go close to home. Right. Most people used to use their insurance for everything now deductibles are through the roof. So you have to pay a couple thousand dollars out of pocket. So that also changes the, the conversation and what you have to do. And then there's just been a lot more research around quality addiction care and what that looks like, as well as pressure from the insurance payers because they want quality care, right? If the insur insurance pays, you know, 80 to 90% of all addiction treatment costs in the US. And so they're the ones footing the bill, not the individual. And so they're very concerned about great outcomes. They want their members going to a good facility that it's going to help them yes. get better because they don't want to be again. Right. Um, it's a, it's yeah. And, they, and if it's a big them. company, they've got a lot of clients, right. You yeah. know, they're trusting a lot of people into the system. Exactly. Yeah. So there's all these, you know, different headwinds and tailwinds to improve the industry, which I think is great. It's improving the quality. Yes. But again, it makes it harder. There's there's more cost when you have to do that and it's more competitive. And so the the little margin you had is now whittled down even further. You know, <laughs> it's a very tough industry. You, you have to love it. You know, that's what I say. Like you, some people do get it into it from the business side of things. I usually say that that's I'm not going to say it's the wrong reason. I have nothing against people making a profit. And if you make profit, yeah. you can reinvest and, and help more people. So I think it's all all great. Um, but if you're not passionate about it, like this is not an industry where you're going to make a ton of money. <laughs> so if that's your goal, I would go into something else like financial services or something, you know, where, or anything else. Yeah. Um, or anything else. Right. Yeah. I mean, it is a a well, and it's just, it's a tough, I mean, there's so many great stories in there, but there's also heartbreak story. It's a tough business. Very tough. This, I mean, we, we have clients, you'll, you're going to have people that pass away in treatment, right? They're, they're going to sneak drugs in medical complications. Like, you know, it, it's rare, but it, it absolutely happens. It's part of managing a treatment center and you do the best you can to prevent things like that. But it, it's just going to happen by the nature of, yes. of clients coming into the programs. 
right? They, they have a lot of challenges that they're facing or people leave treatment and they do well for a while. And then, you know, they, they end up going back to using yeah. and using in a really problematic way and, you know, they'll overdose and, you know, it just happens, unfortunately. So it's a very yeah, hard, hard industry emotionally to. I, that's to what I think. Yeah. Well. It's the most, especially small owners, small operators. I'm just thinking close to the community and it's community based, right. In the end yes. of the day, it's people, you know, it's people, yeah. you know, and they're around you. Yeah. Nick, we, I, got, I mean, we got, we got some go time ahead. left about five, about five. I'll take about five minutes um, and get, I got a question for you. Do you see, and, and maybe it's a question about business opportunity. One of the things that was rattling around in my head the other day was the amount of attention now on um, psychiatric care, right? You know, mm -hmm. basically clinical care. Um, and now that the, the fees are going up, so, you know, clinicians are now making money and they mm -hmm. don't have to have space, right? So it's an interesting, it's a boom market in a way. I had some conversations with the gentleman that runs a search firm uh, around mm -hmm. this space. And I'm just curious, you know, it might be a great opportunity for you to take the social circle into that part, because I do see a lot of this acquisition happening now. So cl clinics are going to, I think are going to be, they're going to be some investor money coming in. And I think you'll see a consolidation acquisition of firms and you'll, you'll see probably a repeat of what you saw the addiction space. I'm just curious yeah, if you see that. that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you're just tracking capital flows, right? Like we, we work with a lot of just track <laughs> the bigger providers and it started off with out of network residential treatment providers. Yes. Then it moved to in network residential treatment providers. Then it moved to MAT. Then it moved to autism. In the last couple of years, it's been outpatient behavioral. Yes. I mean, that's a whole long conversation, but basically the capital inflows where they think there's going to be the greatest opportunity. And then there's this roll up that happens within industries on a regular basis. And okay. so from, from a private equity standpoint, when you're looking at large scale investments, you know, tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, what you'll do is what you'll do is call a roll up. So you'll say, well, if I have four, four little businesses and it's each like a therapist at each facility, you know, they're going to do 120,000 in revenue a year. So I'm looking at okay. under half a million with those four facilities. I don't want to take over four facilities doing half a million a year as a private equity firm because now, now I'm taking over a job, right? There's not enough revenue there to have a CEO, to have a COO, to have a yes. CFO. I yeah. need to get to 5 million a year in revenue before I can start hiring these, these expensive executive roles to manage everything for me. Right. Yep. So then if I can get to that level, that's worth more. Start and so rather than up. paying three times earnings, I'll pay five times earnings and that scales up. And so if I have, you know, 15 facilities across the country and they're doing 80 million a year in revenue, well, now I'm going to be willing to pay seven or eight times earnings potentially um, so yes, we've seen those capital inflows and outflows really consistently. The it, it's it's not math. It's so much harder than people think it is, and it's very speculative in the way that a lot of them work. It's not value based. Got to be very speculative. Yeah, and so and so you'll see it happen, but then you'll see it contract. There is not as much opportunity there as as people like to think there is. It's very hard. Like I said, once you start to get at scale, the margins are very hard. Um, it's hard managing all those people, you know, even for a private therapist, most of them don't make money. 
you know, they're lucky if they're making 60,000 a year after taxes and all their expenses and stuff like that, because wow, prob- that's know, probably a good, that's probably a good earner. Yeah. That's, that's average. Right. I mean, you have those private therapists that are charging people 200 bucks an hour, but where do they live? I mean, they live in older <laughs> Colorado or they live in, yeah, they're not living in Wyoming. Right. They have to live somewhere where people have enough disposable income yeah. that they're willing to pay $200 out of pocket because they're not in network with insurance panels. And so that means that you're dealing with the top 10% of the US. And when do therapists want to work? They want to work nine to five. Well, I'm not going to come in nine to five. I'm working. Right. So again, who's <laughs> able to come in nine to five? It's it's people that are wealthy enough that they either have flexibility in their job or they're, yeah. they're not working. Right. A lot of um, stay at home spouses, that kind of thing. So when you look at that, it's not sustainable. Most we, we work with a lot of clients that obviously have therapists that come in and out. They try to do private practice and mm-hmm. they end up not making it work because it's so hard to find clients willing to pay that much money. Then you can go and network with insurance, but that's a pain in the butt and they hate that. And it's lower, yeah, lower reimbursements and they do the yep. accounting and the marketing, which they hate. They just want to provide care. You know, so they realize that they're spending 60% of their time trying to build a business rather than helping patients, which yes. is what they want to do. So then they end up going back and working for a provider. Um, but there is a shortage of, of therapists for sure. There are a lot of people have tried to do like the whole telehealth thing. And then now they're realizing how hard it is and they're coming back to work for providers but that's created a talent shortage and that talent shortage has made it very profitable for, you know, search firms to uh, seek out and place therapists. Okay. And, and probably some pretty, you know, I think well-established or, you know, decently established small firms are doing well. Um, yes. Post. That's kind of what I've, I've done some interviews with therapists here, uh, especially people that own small firms. They own firm with maybe six clinicians. Yeah. And yep. you know, they've they've busted out of the they've closed down the brick and mortar. They've gone totally remote and it's worked out and the reimbursements are better now. It's, it's, a different- it's getting better. It's possible. Again, you have to have good marketing. Right. I mean, how do you get someone to sign up for your program online? You've got to market pretty well to them. Most therapists end up building a, a community. Right. And so I, over yes. time, it's just like a great plumber or a great electrician. <laughs> Everyone knows them. Um, and that's how most therapists survive. But once you start to get at scale where I need, now I don't need 10 patients for my own, you know, practice. I need a hundred patients because I've got 15 therapists I need to feed, um, that, that becomes a different ball game and at scale, it's so much harder. And that's why you don't see the roll-ups be as successful because, you can't rely on just personal networks at that point. You have to have sophisticated marketing uh, yeah. strategies, back end mm-hmm. office operations. And so that's where things get complicated. Like even if you look at the hospital space, you know, there was a lot of roll-ups of group physician practices a while ago, right. hospitals bottom up left and right. The hospitals don't make any money on the care delivered in the physician practice. They actually lose money on it most of the time where it's valuable to them is, is basically downline revenue, right? Because the physicians refer to the hospital all the time for tons and tons of different services. And so it ends up working out. Uh, I I think, you know, psychology and therapy is a lot similar. It'll be, it's hard to make it work. It's going to be interesting to watch it, uh, to watch it play out over the next ever several months. Definitely. Um, Nick, how about some closing thoughts? I mean, anything you want to, 
you know, leave um, leave the audience with I think good one is you know is the the kind of clients you're looking for who are the you know who are the kind of clients you want to engage with and how do they find you and and maybe oh, other, sure, sort of yeah. other kind of closing thoughts. I mean, if everyone wants to reach out to us, obviously you can go to our website. It's circlesocialinc.com. I'm very active on LinkedIn. If you just want to find me, Nick Jaworski. Okay. Uh, it's like Ron Jaworski, but I have no relation to him. Everyone always asks. Yeah. Uh, that's how you can remember my name. Um, <laughs> or you just email us at engage at circlesocialinc.com. And we're very happy to talk to anyone within the behavioral health space or the addiction treatment space that's looking to connect people to quality care that really has a great program and mm. just needs some help getting the word out there and making sure that they have the right patients coming in for the right treatment. Nick, thanks a bunch. Uh, I learned a ton. Very interesting. And um, I mean, I'm sure there's a great backstory how you started the business and everything else. I'd love, <laughs> I'd love yeah. to hear the whole story one day. Uh, sure. But thank, yeah, thanks again. And I think it's a great uh, service you're providing is really good. I, that I spent a lot of my time in Asia working on, you know, as a sideline to the business was financial literacy. And so people, sure. people were ready to do insurance. They had some baseline knowledge and they knew what they were to look out for and, and knew how to be treated fairly. So they had some good knowledge. So I, I really appreciate the, the knowledge base that you build out in front of people looking for care. It's really a good thing to do as well. well not just good, not just good business. Yeah, exactly. Not just good business. Thanks again, everybody. Uh, a little uh, play, a little outburn, out uh, outtake commercial. And Nick, I'll see you on the other side. Stick around, just chat real quick on the back end. Sure. Yeah. Thanks again. Yeah, loose baby. But we're about to go and make this vessel with these great professionals yeah. in public glass. We're not part of the community, but we're from Ooh. the outer family of glass blowing. Yeah, we're going to go make a magical giant jar with optic lenses so that if you turn it, it changes all the time. So if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change.